Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, Podcast World, welcome to another exciting, interesting, on the road edition. On location. On location of FNO InsureTech, your only source that you would ever need mm-hmm. yeah. for anything to do with InsureTech. Isn't that right, Lee? Yeah, you should look nowhere else. We're a single source of truth. That This single is it. source. The yeah. single source of truth, to quote Randy Thornton. Yeah. Um, this is us. Uh, we scour the world. Mm-hmm. For what's important in the InsureTech marketplace, and we bring it to the airwaves. That's true because we do go around the world. We've had people from many different countries. Many countries. Many, many countries. countries. We had somebody from South Korea one time. We did. That was cool. Yeah. It was we've like had, one o'clock from in the morning there. India and Israel. Oh, yeah. Canada. Yeah. South England. America, England. Right. Many, many places. And America. (laughs) That doesn't count. Oh. And you who are joining us today. Um, And so this week, in this week's exciting edition, hold your breath, everybody. Hold your breath. Rob, also known as me, (laughs) flew to the ends of the earth to track down a man who we've been trying to have on this episode for how long, Lee? A long time. Years. Like, years. Like years, right? Years. And what would happen? Now we're going to give Garrett a little bit of a hard time. Well, okay? we would get him. Right. We would get him. Uh-huh. And it, he'd tell it, us how interested he was in it. So interested. Very and interested. It, and it became time for the podcast. Right. And he, and he always had something. Something came up. <laughs> a better offer, I like to say. Something, something yeah. came up and uh-huh. we, we weren't able to do it. Uh-huh. And so Rob said, "You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna put on my wings. Yep. Now I'm gonna fly down. That's right. And That's what I hope did. he doesn't have something else to do right before uh-huh. we get there. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And you I, did it. I I got on that plane and I pushed that pilot aside. Yeah. And I said, "You give me those controls. <laughs> I'm driving this thing. See, single source of truth. Single source of truth. And I I I flew the plane." Good job. By myself. I made the co-pilot leave as well. As you should. And uh, flew the plane down to um, Southern California and had the opportunity, finally, to get with our friend, mm-hmm. longtime friend. Longtime friend. First time guest, Garrett Gray, president of Protect at CoreLogic is our guest today. I mean, Garrett's a big deal. Big Garrett deal. Garrett big. is a big deal. I know Garrett from from Next Gear, right? Before yep. it was uh, yep. acquired yep. Uh, by CordLogic and yep. just a, a heck of a leader. And I got to know some of Garrett's uh, employees and people he worked with, and they were great people. Mm-hmm. And and they're still around today. And, and Garrett just really revolutionized the industry with, with some of his products and you know 
I'm very excited to hear how this interview went. The uptake of next year's products among the carriers that companies like ours deal with is substantial. And and it's hard to work in our space, which is property insurance, without having to work with their products. And the reason is, is because their products matter. Um, And so if you are an insure tech uh, founder or technologist and you want to listen to this guy because he's made it, he's done it. And it's a great story of starting from absolutely zero and working your way up, uh, seeing opportunities, finding opportunities, and then bringing them to bear. And uh, great story and a great person. And about, what, a year ago? Yeah. Uh, was acqu- uh, Next Gear was acquired by CoreLogic. Big news. It was huge news. H- huge news. And... Um, He's in the process of building, rebuilding, and remaking the uh, insurance practice at CoreLogic. CoreLogic is made up of three legs. Uh, you'll hear about that on the podcast, and one of them is insurance, and they tagged um, Garrett to run it. Yeah, And so he's a very young man who's come a long way in a short period of time, and I'm sure that all, you'll you'll understand that a lot more once you uh, have the podcast. And and another thing that you'll really want to listen to today's podcast is it's just me. Yeah, it's just you. Lee tapped out. Yeah, I'm I'm here for the opening, but I couldn't I couldn't make the trip. But I do want to go back to what you were saying that many insurance carriers are using this product and the uptick is amazing. And what's so interesting is five minutes before we did this interview, I received a text message that another one of our clients will be implementing next year. And it's just like that, right? It, it's a it's a critical part of the insurance ecosystem. And, and you know, it, it's just so neat to have somebody like Garrett on to talk, mm-hmm. to share his wisdom. And I'm very excited to hear this one. And here it is, our interview with Garrett Gray, the president of Protect at CoreLogic. Hey, everybody, we are here on location today. We're remote today, FNO on the road in Los Angeles, California. Actually, West Hollywood, right? Yeah, West Hollywood, yeah. We're in, we're in West Hollywood, right. California. Uh, on the 14th floor of this office building that's looking out over, like... It, I mean, technically, you can see downtown Los Angeles all the way to the ocean. So, it's uh, it definitely is... So, when it's clear, is that the ocean yeah. out there? <laughs> You're right, which is almost never clear. Yeah. Uh, but that is the ocean. There's LAX over there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry that you all um, can't see what we can see, but it's a really nice view. And provided by Garrett Gray. Hi. <laughs> it's great to have you with us. This is... I'm we're, happy to be here. We've been chasing you to have you on this podcast for probably years, for years. I know that. But just to be very clear, like it wasn't that I didn't want to get on the podcast. Okay. It was more of a scheduling thing, right? I'm just okay. not good at scheduling. Okay. Haley wasn't here before, like, you know. Okay. So I haven't been avoiding the podcast. I will say, without Haley, this wouldn't have happened. No, of course not. Okay, it would definitely so not have happened. Shout out yeah. to Haley. Hey, right shout out to Haley. Haley. <laughs> And I want everybody to know that I have the benefit of seeing Garrett and he's um, a shadow of what he used to be. 
We got to go there first. Okay. So you are, what, give us your title today. Uh, so I'm the president of Protect. CoreLogic has three main business units, find, buy, and protect. And so find is all the real estate, mm-hmm. tech, uh, right. I think MLS, you mm-hmm. know, trying to find a home, mm-hmm. uh, all the tech around that. And then buy is all your mortgage tech. Uh, so things that uh, the large banks use to service mortgages. So almost okay. every mortgage, you know, goes through our system at some point. Uh, so that's why we have a lot of great property data. Right. And then insurance is all kind of in this world that we call protect. Uh-huh. Uh, that's because about protecting structures. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anything to do with insurance. So insurance data, underwriting and risk data for carriers. Uh, claims workflow, estimatics, contractor workflow, uh, restoration, uh, CRM software, anything that has to do in the space that you know Nextgear traditionally uh-huh. lived in before and more is uh, is what Protect is. I love that name. It's an interesting way yeah. to like kind of segment three things. So it, I, I don't know if it will always be how we how we talk uh-huh. about it because um, you kind of have to explain it. A you do, bit. but so, you know because I I didn't get it before. Yeah. But now that you've said it, yeah, um, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it, it, I don't love that we have to explain it as much, but uh, but so <laughs> yeah, that might everything be a insurance, cumbersome. everything uh-huh. you think of insurance globally uh, is is now uh, uh-huh. what I run. Uh-huh. Now that we have that out of the way, yeah. we're going to get back to that. We're going to spend most of our time there, but we got to talk about you for a minute. Okay, you're like you're half the man you used to be. <laughs> yeah, roughly. Yeah. I I, uh, I was I know I've shown you the before and after so yes. it's a uh-huh. little dramatic but um, yeah I uh, I think at my height and, and COVID was a big you know a big sure. part of this we right? all we all had the COVID yeah. twenty I like to say I'm five nine it's probably more true I'm five eight but uh, um, but you know five eight five nine I was like two hundred and forty something pounds at the height of COVID. Um, and I think, you know, a big part of that was just like drinking my feelings. Like I was just, you know, a lot was going on in the world and I just really felt like, um, I don't know. I just, I I just kind of let everything go. And the thing about it, like COVID that was interesting is everything was a, uh, you know, a web meeting, right? Mm-hmm. So you could position your camera in such a way that you, you didn't look <laughs> that bad. Like, and so I think it right. just gave me uh-huh. this license to uh-huh. like not have to buy new pants. Right. So, <laughs> uh, so anyways, so that got really out of control. And then, um, you know, sometime around uh, um, July of last year, I got serious uh, about trying to get back in what shape. What, was there a moment? Was there a thing? Something happened? No, I don't really think there was this moment. I think it was more like anticipation of having to get back into trade shows and, you know, see people. And um, and so that, I think this kind of happened in two different steps. One, I've battled weight. Like I, I've bounced around to different weights uh, pretty dramatically over the last 15 years. You know, building Next Gear was... Uh, you know, not easy, a lot of, you know, long hours. So much time on the road. And a lot of time on the road. And so, so anyways, so I've always battled this. I, and this is kind of the longest stint and probably the most progress I've ever had. And I also feel like I've, you know, turned this corner of figuring out how to do it all. And uh-huh. I've added more muscle, which I think that, you know, makes adding muscle, I think makes it easier to kind of maintain your weight a little bit too. So yeah. I don't know. I've just been a lot more focused on actually you know, building my body than uh-huh. I have in the past. Uh-huh. I'm trying to at least invest in myself a little bit uh, Good. besides just all the other things I do. Good. You also had a major event 
life event. <laughs> True. Right? Yeah. And when was that? That was a, so maybe you, I, 18 months actually, ago? No, it, a believe year. it or not, it, we're, we're almost coming on the anniversary. It was the 14th of September. Okay. Uh, last year. So. Okay. Yeah. And tell us about that. What was that? So, uh, so what you're referencing is the uh, acquisition of our company. So Nextgear got uh, bought by CoreLogic. So, you know, for 15 years prior to that, I was building Nextgear. I was acquiring other companies that did five acquisitions, which was a really fun experience. Um, and then now I was on the other side of that being acquired by uh, CoreLogic, which was... But I bet you knew better how to do it. You know, was it was it different being acquired? It definitely is different, but I do think there there were certain things that I knew um, had to happen um, from being on the other side multiple times. Like one, uh, and I think this actually shocked the some leadership at CoreLogic uh, when when I did the kind of town hall kickoff to say, "Hey, like uh, we've been acquired." I very quickly said, "And we are now CoreLogic," because that was something that all the other founders that came along this journey with me, like they had to embrace being part of next year. Uh-huh. So I knew, like, it was a big part of my job to get everybody else to say, "Okay, like, we are now like CoreLogic." We're, mm-hmm. you know, we might have a a public um, responsibility to bring people along that journey and kind of phase out the next year name, but mm-hmm. internally we had to know we were CoreLogic. So mm-hmm. I think there are things like that that you know executing as many uh, acquisitions as I did that helped me uh-huh. get ready to be acquired. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think connecting it back to like my body, you know, changes what I, what I can't express to too many people. Cause you have, I feel like you have to have gone through this and a lot of the you know contractors in the space that own businesses know it, but like when you own something like the stress of being, you know, of, of your investors and your employees and their families and your family, like all being on your shoulders is, is a, is a really different experience than when you are an employee. And for the first time in, you know, 17 years, I'm an employee again. Uh-huh. So there's like a level of stress that is like gone that yeah. evaporated that day. So I think that gave me some bandwidth to, you know, actually like it freed up some space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've had a very similar experience. You live with being an owner for so long. You live with it for yeah. so long that you don't even consider it. No. Until it changes. Yeah. And then you can kind of look back and see, oh my gosh, I had I had no room left in my life for anything because I was so preoccupied with employees and and acquisitions and growing and development and everything else. And now I have some room. I was saying to somebody the other day, like even just normal conversation with people outside of work, I'm, I'm having to learn how to go back to some of that because my mind used to be so preoccupied that I could sit in the car with people and, and just like drive and realize like I haven't said anything in an hour because I was thinking about, you know, work. And, and, and not that I don't think about work as much, it's just different. And, and so like I'm now having to kind of reemerge into normal life without having that. That stress and CoreLogic is a large company, right? Big public company. <laughs> it's, correct. It's actually not public. Oh, it was um, taken. It private. was taken private just before we were their first acquisition after they got taken private. So uh-huh. uh, Stone Point Insight Partners um, mm-hmm. together brought them uh, private, and uh, which has actually been really great for us because uh, it allows us to operate a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so yeah, they got taken private, then they acquired us. Um, but your 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 point is really. Valid though it, it's a big company. It's a multi-billion-dollar company. So little next year, you know, going into becoming a part of a multi-billion-dollar company was a change. And on top of that, just our business unit, you know, is, is about a thousand people. So we went from two hundred fifty people to a thousand people uh-huh. overnight. So there, wow. it's been a lot of scaling and adjusting and uh-huh. and you know figuring out what that feels like. Uh-huh. And 
And they're probably reimagining with your acquisition and new leadership, yeah. reimagining how to get their arms around the insurance beast. So what's really interesting about at CoreLogic is most of its revenue is not in insurance. Right. 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 That's they're known for mortgage, mortgage, mortgage real tax. estate. That's right. right. But but property. But property. And, and which is really highly correlated and connected to insurance, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, admittedly, most of their revenue is, is outside of insurance. However, a big part of the um, thesis around you know Stonepoint um, and insights coming in to to bring them private is to expand beyond just uh, mortgage check with insurance being kind of the the kind of the uh, the head of the arrow, right? Uh-huh. And and so while um, we might be a smaller part of the revenue, we're the biggest part of the focus. Sure. And and so what's great about that is is the kind of checkbook uh, for me for. Uh, um, for being able to innovate and be able to do things that, you know, and next year we didn't have the resources to always execute against the, you know, dreams and visions uh-huh. that we had. Uh-huh. Uh, now it's a different story. Now we have <laughs> lots of resources. And so, um, and we have, you know, pretty much full autonomy. The, the, um, the board and uh, the, the new uh, CEO, uh, Pat Dodd uh, at CoreLogic has basically said, hey, we, we bought you guys because of, partly because of the team. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you plus the team that we already had, which was amazing, like go make it happen. And uh-huh. so now we're getting that kind of uh, capability to run more like a small company inside of a big company. So one of the key pieces of the insurance puzzle at CoreLogic has to be uh, the, the company formerly known as Symbility. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Talk for a minute about what Symbility means and, and how you're, I have to think that that's kind of a center point for your strategy. Is that correct? Yeah. Like, so I think it, what's really important to understand about our insurance platform is that it's really already end to end. So you have all of the uh, data and underwriting uh, capabilities that 400 plus carriers use already today. Um, we're, we're really a leader when it comes to helping carriers make uh, underwriting decisions and decide you know, how they match the price to the risk. And mm-hmm. and so what that does, is it gives us a really deep insight and connections with carriers, you know, very sure. broadly. Okay. Sure. Um, and then that you have the next gear side, which was working with you know, seven out of the top 10 U.S. carriers on claims workflow. Mm-hmm. And we were connecting to, you know, all different sorts of systems, but, you know, really meaningful workflow um, uh, deep connections into their supply chain and, and really, managing a lot of how the carrier operates uh, when settling the claim. And then you have uh, CoreLogic's uh, Symbility, which we don't we don't really use Symbility's name much right, anymore, sorry. but uh, Claims Connect, um, basically the estimating um, platform. Uh-huh. And, and that's used by Liberty. Um, there's actually another top 10 that just signed off that I can't tell you who yet. No, uh, no I, can't, not, I can't. I wish I could, you know, make that announcement can, on this. We can, can hold back um, the publication. But it's, it's, it's coming soon okay. um, and, and probably another on the horizon. So um, there's a big movement uh, to move towards our estimating platform as well. But part of the reason is when you connect everything, the full right. life cycle right. of the claim, all of the... Uh, you know, kind of the things that made Nextgear unique, like our contractor network and the people of, uh, and I don't, when I say network, I don't mean it in the, in the, like, we don't manage contractors, not but MRP. not MRP, but in the terms of like 
there are thousands and thousands of independents and franchises and, you know, about 8,000 plus doors that of contractors that choose to use our platform uh-huh. that now can connect to, you know, how do we settle things faster and how do we, you know, take all the friction points out of the process. And so when you look at that whole end to end platform, there's really nothing else like it. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have things to, to like fix. And, and, you know, we've got, uh, you know, Liberty, who's a huge, uh, you know, top 10, you know, that's mm-hmm. in the middle of the rollout here, which obviously is giving us lots of feedback that, uh, that we're addressing. Um, but I, I don't think you've, we've ever seen the type of team that we've assembled, the type of resources and the excitement around both from our contractors, carriers and from us to, to really reimagine this process mm-hmm. in a way that is is challenges the status quo. I mean, we've had the status a certain status quo in this industry for so long, and I think you know we're just excited about our chance to really innovate it. So I'm interested in the status quo. I've worked in this industry for a long time, 25 years, and um, and things have been done a certain way. And we also see that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Like I think one of the promises of technology was. It's going to take less people and it's going to go faster. I was at a, I was at InsureTech Connect last a year. couple, well, maybe, no, it was before COVID. Okay. The last one before COVID. And the president of Allstate got up. He just left. Yeah. Glenn Shapiro, I yeah. believe. And, um, and he said that, you know, technology has all this promise and does bring all, more data, but it's still taking as long to do something today with all this technology as it did, you know, 20 years ago. So is that changing? Is the status quo changing? Where are we in that progression? Yeah, I I maybe would liken it to like, Every time a new iPhone comes out, which by the way, I'm I'm setting my alarm because uh, I, I <laughs> you're one of those I'm, guys. Maybe at five a.m. tomorrow, guys. pre-ordering okay. the new be, iPhone. Okay, like without I don't I don't even know what's different. I just okay. know I want it. Okay, okay. but anyways, uh, but every time it, they they announce it, it's like double the speed, right? Uh-huh, and right. you're like, is it really? I don't know that I feel Do double I, yeah, the speed, right? right? However, I think what we fail to recognize is like all the things that are happening that didn't happen in your first iPhone, right? Uh-huh. And so, for example. When you say, you know, things may feel like they're taking longer, I think quality is different. I think our ability to, you know, check and double check and audit estimates is, is different. I think the amount of back and forth has been reduced in, in certain workflows. And so I, I get what he's saying because I, I, think, I think we feel that in our lives in all different areas where uh-huh. speed is technically improving, but we don't always recognize all the new things that we're doing that we didn't do before and right. the new benefits and values that we're bringing. But I think the point is is still true. We are still at a very like early stage of this technology adoption. And when when you go to something like InsureTech Connect, like there are so many things out there, you know, trying to solve these these problems. I think the difference, you know, here is that everything that we do is like partnered with somebody who we're solving an actual problem each time. And they're incremental things, not theoretical tech. There's some theoretical tech that, that we're working on that's like more R&D. But I, I, I think we know we're early in this journey and there's a lot to do. And we're kind of solving this in an incremental way. Let's name a problem. Let's solve it. Let's remove some friction and let's uh-huh. move on to the next one. Uh-huh. 
And as opposed to this, like, let's go away for five years and come back with something we think works and then have to realize it doesn't. Because insurance is complicated. So complicated. And everyone does it differently. And and so you have to take somewhat of a bespoke approach to every carrier that you approach and every network that you're working with and every problem that you're trying to solve. Um, and it's complicated. And I think the complexity is what, you know, it saves, you know, some of the contractors are worried, are we going to be displaced by AI or is this going to, you know, mean that I'm no longer necessary? I think the answer is a lot of this infrastructure that exists today to serve our space is always going to be here, but how do we make it more and more frictionless, faster, more accurate? And how do we you know, look at like the way it's happened and say, does it have to happen that way or can we do it differently going forward? You know, we've been doing this podcast for uh, almost four years. And we, so we've seen a lot of changes in InsureTech, not just in growth, but companies coming and going, yeah. things coming and going. And one of the things that we've learned is just like what you're saying, it's early and we're spoiled because there's other areas of our world that we live in where it's not as early. Right. That is for way further down the road yeah. than insurance technology. Yeah. And so you kind of have to be patient. I think there's a reason for it, though. Like, it, so it's not true in auto. Like, insurance technology yes. in auto is yes. much further along. Yes. And there's, I think, a good reason. Sure. And and in auto, there's essentially three main players that are attacking the space, right? And so... You know, you have the large CCC, but then you have Mitchell, right, and, and Solera. And so you have all these different players trying to tackle this workflow. So they're out competing and they're innovating and they're having to, you know, claw to, to you know, find new solutions so that they can be competitive and gain market share. That has not existed in our space for how long? And so... That dynamic is now new, right? And if you if you the were to competition ask competition dynamic, the competition dynamic in terms of like the core space, right? And and so like it, you haven't asked me the question yet, but I'll anticipate it and I'll answer it. Like when I was trying to figure out what do I do with next gear, because I knew we needed to do something, right? We needed to either uh, you know, make a huge acquisition and really change the game, or we needed to partner with somebody and become a part of somebody. Um, it, believe it or not, I didn't optimize for what we, the outcome could be because I knew I did not want to go a certain place that would just reinforce this kind of lack of uh, innovation. I wanted to leave this industry with it, even if I didn't stay, which I'm planning to stay for a long time to answer that question too. But even if I didn't, I knew that this combination of CoreLogic and NextGear would create a, a real competitive force. And I think that what that will do regardless will unlock a lot of innovation on both sides. It's going to force the status quo to innovate more and then get, you know, more friendly for the industry. It's going to then, you know, force CoreLogic to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's good. Like no it's matter good. what, it's good. No. For the consumer, the consumer is the winner. That's right. As, as somebody who's worked on the property side, it's something that we desperately needed. Yeah. And, and most companies, regardless of who they subscribe to, have been pining for yeah for for a long time and it will be it'll be good for everyone it'll even be good for our com competition right because it will it will spur on this kind of new sense of like hey we've got to out innovate to win and i'll tell you that uh i mean we we have your competition we've had your competition on the podcast yeah they're good smart people 
who see that the landscape has changed. Yeah. So you're in a horse race. 100%. And, um, and that's what I love. Look, it's a big industry. There's a lot to go after. Oh and, and so, you know, for us, this is all, you know, it, there's lots of uh, runway for us. Mm-hmm. I'm just excited that it's going to propel things forward. And I think that's, it's going to be interesting and fun. And, and, you know, there's a lot of energy around, you know, thinking through like, how do we do things differently? Knowing that it's going to, you know, cause this kind of horse race or a war, you know, if mm-hmm. you will, that, uh, that I think only creates cool things. Uh-huh. Let's talk about selling your company. Yeah. When we sold our company, I think we were in a, you, you, what you just said, we were in a similar place. We knew that we either needed to do something enormous or we needed to partner with a, a different company. And we chose that path. Yeah. Um, is it, was it that simple? Was were you you were at a crossroad? Yeah, look, I wish I could have like said I was. I knew the economy was going the way it was, and I just like was timing things perfectly. That just was pure luck. No, I think it was. It, we were literally at a crossroad. There was another big acquisition that we were we were trying. We were actually were playing two things at the same time. We're like, hey, we might go you know, buy way. this. Yeah, we might go buy this company, and this would really change the game and really you know actually even require us to bring on a new. Uh, private equity partner, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, we're going to go down this road. And, um, and so it was, you know, basically as both those things were maturing, this just seemed like the best option, both for us, for the company. And, um, and, and I think really a part of it was realizing that they wanted our team because our team didn't want to break up. This was uh, like a right. really great team, like uh-huh. with Jake, uh, Labrie yeah. and Jesse and like, we, uh, Raj, uh, we had this amazing kind of group of founders and, and executives that were, it's like, I, I think the magic of, of our team was like, you had these founders, you know, who, you know, aren't necessarily, not all of us, especially not me, aren't, I'm a college dropout, right? So, um, so I'm not this professional executive. And then you've got, you know, a bunch of, you know, Jesse, who's a Harvard grad, you know, just did this for years at Mitchell. And this kind of mashup of founders and executives has really been something that I think has made our success so, so fast. And we didn't want to break up. And so knowing that that was really important to CoreLogic that we wanted to stay actually pushed us down that road. Uh So, and how's it been? How's the ride been? You know, uh, to be honest, it was rocky at first. Um, You know, we had a... um, went through a CEO change and um, at CoreLogic and you know, just kind of getting our bearings of like, how do you operate in a bigger company? Uh-huh. And at the same time, getting everybody else uh, to understand, like maybe we need to operate differently. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it takes some time. It took some time. There's and, some fallout. And, and you know what, but the fallout here has been pretty minimal That's in great. that um, I think you know, pretty quickly this year, the board, Pat Dodd, our new CEO, recognized, you know, we're the, uh, you know, bigger player in the spaces that we play in mortgage and um, real estate tech. Over here, we have a really great foothold, but we're not the bigger player yet. And so maybe we need to operate differently there. And that's where we were able to get more autonomy, the resources we need to go really play a some more similar playbook to the one that Next Gear played. And then maybe, you know, what was being played before. So a college dropout? Yeah, totally. <laughs> what, what, what's that story? Uh, so how did, how did, let's talk about how you get from there to here. Yeah. Um, gosh. Okay. So 
Um, trying to figure out how to make this not too long of a story, but you know, basically, long story short is that uh, um, when I was maybe a year and a half into college, there were some you know family reasons that was like, hey, you got to go to work and you got to kind of now support yourself. And college wasn't in the cards for me, and so I had to what I thought was pausing uh, college, mm-hmm. and you know, I really went down this path of figuring out like, how do I you know, build up a resume when I liked marketing at the time that would kind of position me to eventually go back to college and, you know, go, go down that professional route. And, it, you know, it's this classic story or, or to me it's classic, but it's like, I really thought uh, I was going to get this offer this particular job. And I was going through the interview process and I was really young and maybe very prideful and thought, okay, they're going to offer it to me for sure. Like I'm, I'm the best, you know, for this particular job. And, you know, somebody gave me some really sage advice and said, well, but you should maybe t- interview over here as well and get, have a plan B just in case. Uh-huh. And I took this interview at this small restoration firm in Los Angeles, not ex- ever expecting to, to do it because mm-hmm. it wasn't what, uh, what, what I thought I was going to be offered and where I thought I was going to go. And as you know, luck would have it, I did not get offered that initial job. And, I had to take my plan B uh, job, which is restoration. And, um, and so that was my first, like, did you know what restoration I had was? No clue. I just <laughs> knew it was, you know, contractors and uh-huh. it was, you know, you know, there, I knew there was a lot of, uh, not the best environments that people were going to be working in. So uh-huh. it really, it, it, to be honest, wasn't super attractive to me uh-huh. at first. I was thinking, what am, what am I doing? And when I walked in, uh, I only reinforced this kind of, uh, question in my mind, like, should I be doing this? Because it was like pandemonium. People were running all over the office looking for files. You know, adjusters were, you know, being, were calling, looking for information, putting them on hold, running around. And this was like a duplex. So they were up and downstairs going, do you have this file? Do you have this file? Trying to just find information to, to give a, an adjuster an update. And I walked into the owner of that business who hired me and I said, hey, like, if I go do my job as, you know, and, and go bring in more business, how will you handle it? You already have paperwork stacked on everyone's desk, like, yay high. And his response, I'll never forget, was like, oh, they can always stack it higher. Just go get me more work. <laughs> sure. And That's classic. <laughs> classic, answer. right? Uh-huh. And so um, I just, I looked at that as like, gosh, there's got to be a better way to do this. Mm-hmm. And I was younger. I was already into technology at the time, just, you know, just as a, as a hobby. And so I just started tinkering with technology in different ways of like uh, making that a, a more paperless process. It started out eventually with like this cart that had like a car battery strapped to it that had these alligator clips and to an inverter that powered a, a laptop and a printer and a scanner and headlights. And, and it took two people to lift out a box truck to, you know, go into these, you know, burnt out homes and, you know, try to document and get things signed and, and scan back up to a file server in real time. Completely difficult. Um, but actually, started to, you know, kind of change the game and is now what our mobile app does. So it's kind of amazing uh, to see like how technology has gone from something so, you know, uh, analog to this. But um, did that become Dash? That's what became Dash. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's and, and there's, you know, I'm trying to not, you know, belabor the story too much, but um, there was a lot of iterations all the way through. There was a lot of just, I think, a bit of like blind optimism, like, oh, I... I can do that, right? Uh-huh. Let's go do it. And we did it. And it and basically got to a point where when we built our first application and it got some pretty quick market acceptance before it probably should have. And then, you know, things were like crashing all over the place, but we had people's data. Like we had to figure out how to make it work. And so we just kind of sheer perseverance 
went and uh, and just kind of pulled it out and eventually built a market leading product in that space. And so how did you, I mean, you were working for somebody and developing this. So how'd you go from that to, and you were- Yeah, so it's actually a long story. So like, so uh, I started out as a director of marketing restoration. I started figuring out different like strategies for making that process more paperless. That owner was in a network called DKI. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I remember DKI. Uh, DKI was- almost like a fraternity. So they were, they were like, they had, they're all friends. And so he would send me to different DKI members to teach them what I was doing. That then uh, got the attention of Assured Software, which was the only really software company who was trying to attack that space in, in job management for contractors. They hired me as, as a trainer. I started uh, you know, helping contractors uh, implement that technology. I left, uh, actually became a general manager of a company in New York. Uh, a restoration company in New York started to kind of refine and see the limitations of, of what that uh, was doing at that time. And then started a consulting practice that was just about helping contractors adopt all different types of technologies, which then eventually like turned into me starting my own technology. So that, that that's how those, that kind of, that was the, were you iterating with dash all that time? No, dash did not. We didn't even start thinking about dash itself until like 2008. So I was deep into consulting and our essentially what was happening at the time was that Assure Software was shutting down the, the, the product that they built and they're trying to build a new one, which wasn't what people needed. And so everyone was like, we need something. And so I was actually consulting uh, different contractors and like, I thought my consulting business would go away if they didn't have a technology that was going to stick around. So I'm like, okay, well, we better build a technology uh, business. And it was initially going to be just for our consulting clients. Uh, and then they told their friends about just it. Just so that you could keep your business. Just, yeah. Like, <laughs> and so it, it, there, there was like this point where I realized, um, you know, my grandma uh, is, is a consultant to this day. She still works. And, and I really respect her. And she, I was her oldest grandchild. And so she took me all over the world and I got to see her work in all different sort of contexts. And, but I, I always remember thinking, gosh, like she's always has to work. She doesn't have something she can really sell. And so there was this point where I was but her time, but her time. Yeah. And so like, and, and so I, at one point I just thought, gosh, like how do I take all this consulting knowledge and build it into something that one day I can sell uh-huh. and, and then not necessarily have to always sell my time. And that, so that I kind of learned that lesson from my grandma uh-huh. and then that that's what kind of made me decide, okay. There's a need. I don't want to always be just selling my time. Maybe I should try to build something to see if that would. Work. So you did, but that wasn't next gear. Yeah, that is. Is that what it was called right away? So, I mean, we started. At, so Shift was the name of the consulting company, uh-huh. which we had like this brief uh, um, period. We called ourselves Gorilla Developers, okay. and then it was uh, next gear. It was okay. next gear was basically. What and we so next gear kind of comes out with a a product. Yeah, it's called Dash. A product. But that's not where you ended. No. So Dash uh, was was essentially our job management tool uh, for restoration contractors and those that manage them. So think your franchises and even uh, some MRPs or MRNs. And we essentially got it to a place where it was adopted by the most independents and then people like Service Master and Rainbow and Paul Davis and Pure Clean. And so we had you know most of the franchises on as well. 
at that point, we started to get the attention of a bunch of private equity. And this is sort of like the beginning of when private equity was looking at our space. Like, you know, private equity is all of our space today. Today, but yeah, but not not, not always. Like, yeah. like Stone Point, yeah. very early. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. But like, especially if you think about the, like the, the contractor space, like mm-hmm. there was no private no. equity around, right? No. Right. And so all of a sudden, like we're getting all these private equity calls. I didn't even know how to take these calls. So I'm like, talking to people, trying to Google terms that they're throwing out. Like, what do you think your TAM is? I'm like, what is TAM? Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I'm having these calls and, and, you know, just eventually figure out I better get smart about that world because it was really becoming um, a, a topic. And I just made this decision one day that um, I was going to partner w- with somebody because I knew what we did to get to where we were wasn't going to get us to where I wanted us to go. Uh-huh. And I needed a partner to both help us and to kind of think through it. And so um, landed on a company called Serent Capital uh, in uh, San Francisco, an amazing private equity firm. They were really great to work with. And they really helped us develop the strategy of going and buying other companies in the space and building the platform uh, through that process. And that's why we you know, acquired five companies in three years, which was like a huge roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah, every time I turned around, yeah, it was a new yeah. company. Yeah, and what were those companies? So the first one that we acquired was Client but, Runner. Well, oh, sorry, before but, we go there, let me ask you. So you had a vision, though. Yeah, I mean, you weren't just buying companies for the heck of it. Right. You had a vision of where you wanted to end. Yeah. And these companies were in support of that. That's right. We we've always saw ourselves we're just rolling up. No. We always saw ourselves as creating a platform that united carriers and contractors mostly, but really the whole ecosystem in figuring out how to get to a faster claim settlement with less friction. That was sort of always our thesis, our vision, um, and using technology to do that because there's so many uh, pieces of the claim process which really could be automated because Frankly, you know, you've got adjusters who are trained differently, right? You have even in the same company, depending on who trained the adjuster, they may have a different perspective on how you settle a claim. When really the carrier has one perspective, but it's just it's hard to institutionalize that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so technology Almost can do it. that, right? Uh-huh. And and so it one, you know, removes the stress from the adjuster because really Technology can look through line items, do math, and go: Is this within the you know the the guidelines or not? That's a lot of work that has been thrown on adjusters, and so the ability to streamline all that just have it happen in seconds was something that we thought could really you know change the game, give adjusters really more time to to have better bedside manner with policyholders, mm-hmm. deliver better service, allow people to focus on people as opposed to focusing on just sorting through line items. Mm-hmm. And, and so we, we looked at the space and, and we bought Mika, which was uh, a, a really an amazing technology around water mitigation, but also what I just described in, in really automating the quality of estimates and helping that settlement process between the parties. And then Accurance, which was doing something very similar, but really they started on a an exterior um, perspective where we start on the interior. And so we yeah. both were like looking at each other going, Hey, we, I've got to come there. You got to come here. So maybe we should just do it together. And so, um, so we joined forces with accurate. And so I, I didn't give them to an order, but you know, right. there, there was this idea that we needed to 
both make sure we had a, a strong contractor workflow base and then this carrier contractor collaboration uh, system that, that we built. Because you realized at some point in time, there's a bigger market here than just contractors. Yeah, and and we had, I should be I should be talking to carriers. We should we and we had these experiences where carriers, um, you know, weren't happy their contractors were using our technology because they didn't understand it. And so, like, we had these yeah, um, customer policyholder collaboration portals where they could see what was happening in the claim, and also, and carriers were finding out about it not through us, but through their policyholders and they were like, what is this? <laughs> and so there was lots of drama around uh-huh. that. And so we, we very quickly realized we need to be in front of carriers. We need to explain what we're doing. And once we did that, they saw the value and then they liked it, but not actually, you know, staying or participating in that world was a problem for us initially. Uh-huh. That, 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 that's an interesting evolution. So you yeah. kind of backed into it. We did. Like we really, we started with contractor focus, at least at next year, and then moved into uh, from a contract perspective to carriers. I think that actually was what put us in a really unique position to bridge these two players because our goal has been to not cause friction between them necessarily, but to like release that friction and to smooth it out. So we've always had this like contractor perspective of how do we help contractors and carriers work together. And I think the way we evolved is what created that perception. One of the strangest things for me about next year was, was it Oxford? <laughs> it was Oxford, yeah. Mississippi. Oxford, Mississippi. Oxford, yeah. Mississippi. Yeah. First of all, name five cities in Mississippi. That's a test that almost no one can pass. Why were you in Oxford, Mississippi? Yeah. So my husband was from there. We originally went there to build houses. It was supposed to be temporary. Um, Oxford is called the Velvet Ditch, by the way, um, because it, it traps a lot of people, meaning you don't go there and tend to stay there and you, uh-huh. you just end up staying there. Okay. And so we were supposed to be there temporarily. We, the Hurricane Katrina happened when we were supposed to build these houses. That made that not make sense anymore. Uh, so we did the only logical thing you could think of. We opened a pizza restaurant in Oxford, Mississippi. Why what, not? What else? Um, and closely I, related to next year. Well, no, yeah, for sure. But before next year was even like it, like it being contemplated, we opened this, uh, this pizza place that kind of gets us there. That was supposed to be temporary too. And we were doing it with another uh, person. They were supposed to take it over. They decided not to. Anyways, we're there. And that's when I start my consulting practice and, you know, wake up. Uh, hire one, two people the first year, uh-huh. wake up, uh, you know, a few years later, I have 80 people in Oxford. Now I'm there. And, uh-huh. you know, we, we stayed there for a good 15 years uh-huh. uh, before moving back to LA. Uh-huh. A little different in Los Angeles. Definitely different. You know, I have three kids uh-huh. and uh, it was really important for us to you know, get them around, you know, some of our family here as well because they had exposure to that family and get them to the school system here. So, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, I, uh, I grew up here. In Los Angeles? I did. Oh, where? I grew up in Downey. Oh, okay. You know yeah. where Downey is? I do, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was uh, a little, everything was a little different then. I grew up here too as well, but I grew up in Valencia, which is uh, okay. uh, a little bit north of the where Magic right Mountain is. It is where Magic Mountain is. That's right. You've been to Magic Mountain? I, I grew up going there. Uh, uh-huh. I was I was homeschooled as a kid, so oh, I could really? go when nobody okay. else could go. So, uh, I go in the middle of the day with my season pass. It's amazing. Uh huh. Do you still have one? I do not. No. Yeah, I have not. <laughs> when was the last time you were at Magic Mountain? Probably 20 plus years. Ago. Okay. All right. 
more of a Disneyland guy now. More of a Disneyland guy, yeah. Kids, yeah. kids are uh, kids actually like Universal Studios. So yeah, I mean, I've been to Disneyland a hundred times. Yeah, I love Disneyland. Yeah, I still love Disneyland. Uh, who, who doesn't love them? You just can't go on the weekend. That's right. Right. That's right. You have to go during the school year in the middle of the week. When that's hundred percent. So let's talk about InsureTech. Yeah, I would say that CoreLogic and and the Protect area is a major player in the InsureTech world, right? Yep. Talk to us about where InsureTech is, where it's going, and the role that CoreLogic is playing and will play in that. Yeah, so I think there's two roles that we'll play. One is I think we'll continue to press the envelope on innovation in a whole host of subjects uh, in, in the entire claim workflow, both in underwriting and in claim settlement. On top of that, a big part of our vision to our digital hub alliance is, you know, understanding just like next year before, we can't build everything and we can't, and even if we are trying to build something, somebody might build a piece better. And so um, we think it's really important that people have choice and that they're able to securely connect and, and work with players who adopt the right security standards and that all clients want to work with. And so, our digital hub alliance, you know, allows people who build things, even that are competitive products to ours and, and things obviously that aren't, to connect into our, our platform and to securely uh, exchange uh, data and information. And so I think it's really important that uh, that kind of open architecture continues. It's got to be secure, which mean, which doesn't mean everyone gets to play. Like that's, I think, one of the biggest, I, I think, hard things to explain is that all of us when we sign up to be a part of an ecosystem where carriers are involved, have to live up to a certain minimum huh. threshold, yeah. which is really, really high in security standards. And some really smaller, smaller players haven't been able to get there yet. And so they need to get there first. But once they do, and, and once carriers and contractors decide they want to share data on this platform, anybody will, is able to do that. But that can lead to an accusation of you're not open. Yeah, I mean, I think if the idea is that that in but order to be considered open, you have to allow anybody on the platform, regardless of the security standards. Yeah, that definition of open is just not allowed. But the definition that that we have, which is, I don't care if you compete with me, if you have the right security standards, you should be able to to operate on this platform, just like Apple does, right? Uh-huh. Like so, Apple, you know, has different. You know, Google is on the Apple Play right. Store, right. etc., right. or, or vice versa. So I think this is a open with security standards, and uh, but not we don't have a competitive dynamic that we uh-huh. consider. Uh-huh. Look, I, in terms of like where I think things are going, um, you know, one of the things that CoreLogic hasn't talked about, and that we will start talking more about, is our AI leadership. So AI and machine learning is, is, I think, a big transformational force that's that's hitting our space and lots of spaces. And what we're looking at is bringing big data from our property, uh, um, our property data assets, the AI that we've been developing there for years. See, one of the amazing things when I stepped into CoreLogic is realizing there is so much AI around. Okay, well, we've got to count the windows. We've got to figure out, is this a high-end kitchen or a low-end kitchen? Because we do that on the real estate side. Mm -hmm. There are hundreds and hundreds of AI models that we that we kind of walked into. We said, how do we operationalize this for um, for insurance? And so 
now we're starting to connect all those dots and, and really allow for things like pre-fill. So, uh, for example, for a contractor, like knowing the age of a property is important. Like we used to teach contractors, go look, try to look at the toilet, you know, try to figure out what the age of the, the property is. See if you need to do, you know, lead testing or asbestos right. testing, right? Well, we know all that information. Sure. We can tell you before you get there, you know, that you need to, you're going to have to do that kind of testing. Don't go set, you know, uh, air movers if, if, if you think there's asbestos, right? And so there's a lot of the process that we can really um, you know, drive forward through the property data, through AI. Um, and I, I think that plus image to scope, there's just, there's so much that is happening in our space that both we're driving and others are driving. I think when you wake up in you know five you know plus years, you're going to see a lot has changed, and technology is going to play a bigger role in how people get their jobs done. I'm always interested in the timing of these things. Yeah, like like you said, five years, and I was going to say ten. Yeah, you beat me to it with sure. five. Um, do you think in five years, if somebody went to sleep today and woke up in five years, they'd say, "Wow, this is really different." I think if you went to sleep before COVID and woke up today, <laughs> it, it would feel really different. Even from a technology you, you, standpoint, you say, why is everybody working in their house? I think that COVID accelerated things that were already happening, but it put us on a track that I think is harder to reverse today. I think carriers learned a really you know tough lesson with this kind of abrupt, like we may not be able to go in people's houses. We may not, you know, we may not have our adjusters at the desk anymore. Like we, there was so much that happened so fast. And uh, I expect that the echoes of that will continue mostly because it, for our industry, we were already on these, these uh, tracks and it just kind of pushed people to make these investments and, and move faster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God forbid we have another pandemic, but I think we know, like we know what happens if that happens. And so I think we all have to be prepared for different types of workflows for different reasons. Um, so, look, I think if you'd have asked me uh, a few years ago if we'd already have autonomous, fully autonomous vehicles, I would have said yes, right? Because uh, yeah, sure. uh, I'm an optimist when it comes to you know how fast technology will be both adopted and and, uh, and come out. I, all I know is that it's going to keep increasing in speed, and for those who are technology resistant, for those who are like I don't think it's ever going to take hold, I think that's the wrong way to look at mm-hmm. it. I think you know. Technology will continue uh, to uh, change the way we work. At the speed, I'm not sure. But if you're planning to be in this industry for five, 10 years, I think now is a good time to be you know, figuring out how to uh, exist in a technology-enabled environment. So CoreLogic is known as a data company, right? Yeah. And, and, and they're building this protect function more and more and more. It's been around. Yeah. I mean, their, their insurance practice has been there for some time. Yep. And is that because they they said some smart person at CoreLogic said, hey, you know what? We have all this property data. We have to be able to use it in insurance. And they've slowly been feeding that. But did they buy you because of data? Was that is that part of the grand plan? I think data for us has nothing to do with how why they bought us. One, they don't really even have access to our data in lots of different ways. There's a lot more restrictions on our data than than maybe some of the other things that uh-huh. they own. I think the couple reasons why they bought us. I don't think there was another likely asset that had sort of the scale that we had and the market reach that we had where they didn't have reach. And so I think when you you look at what they needed and what we had to really create a competitive um, uh, asset that would really give 
the status quo run for their money. Mm-hmm. I think that's why they bought us. Mm-hmm. I also think that the team that we assembled was a really amazing team and they they needed it's in holes that they needed they um, needed to, the intellectual capital yeah and so you know there was a lot of discussion around like hey guys will you stay if, if we do this and and, and our response was well we'll stay if we're in a position to win right. and so we were cool. we had a pretty strong uh, conviction that we would stay but you have to you have to demonstrate to us that you're going to put us in a position to actually be successful for this space. If not, then we may not stay. And a year later, you know, and, and we had really no contractual obligation to stay. We're still here because we think we're in a position to win. Uh-huh. So is going to ensure tech connect in a couple of weeks, an exciting thing for you? Yeah, it is. I, one, I'm excited because last year, you know, it was a little, you know, down in the attendance uh, because of COVID. So I'm excited to see who's, who's there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always neat to see all the things that are popping up uh, in our space because there's a lot of cool innovation. Will you be doing that? Will you be walking around? I mean, not in any inappropriate way, but I mean, like like a fashion designer walks through <laughs> walks through the mall to, for inspiration. I don't know. Inspiration is probably not. I, we are we are not we have no lack of inspiration. If I, uh-huh. I I couldn't execute on any all the things that we we think would be great things for us to be executing, even with the vast resources that we have today. Mm-hmm. I, I think the the main purpose uh, uh, of being there, besides connecting with our carrier clients and contractor clients, and all the different constituents that we we work with, is we we fully believe that we should be connecting into our digital hub alliance, any of these players that can operate at a secure level that carriers and contractors and all the industry stakeholders see value in. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be there. We need to be in front of them and we need to be making sure that, that we're listening and hearing the feedback on how we can better connect and be a good you know, connection agent for people. And, and that's a big part of why we're there. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about pricing for a bit. So pricing, look, I, I, I think that uh, one of the things that I think is important for people to hear is that, um, you know, inflation has clearly been a, a very have had a big impact on on our industry and all industries. And one of the things that uh, happened very recently for us at Protect is that we took over our pricing database and are, are now managing it within our business unit. Before that, it wasn't being managed by our business unit until recently because it actually had other implications for real estate. So it's kind of looked at as a shared service. Um, but we won the argument that the contractor and carrier dependency on our pricing is really the, the main purpose of this database. And we wanted to make sure that it would it had a feedback loop that was close enough um, that it could be really responsive. And so I think what you've seen is uh, uh, us getting you know tighter on some of our definitions, where I think a lot of the you know people who have had uh, issues with our pricing is more because the the definitions and making sure that that you know, what level of category cleaning are they are they focused on? Is it is it really a standard cleaning versus a heavy cleaning, and and that can really change the price uh, sure. dramatically. Sure. And so between definitions, making sure we're getting a feedback loop that's faster, uh, getting information from the uh, contractors and, and um, the people out doing the work about what the actual costs are, making sure we're able to feed that in and, and get responsive uh, pricing back out to the field quickly. Uh, it's been a top focus for us. And I think those who are paying close attention have seen uh, some pretty amazing changes um, in our pricing recently. 
And they'll continue to see that from us. So I think the main thing to hear is like, we've heard the industry feedback around it. We have a methodology that uh, we have to follow, but uh, we are really putting a lot of resources around making sure we get that feedback and the data from the industry in faster so that we can be more responsive. Yeah, because for those of you who aren't, who are listening and are not maybe from the claims side of the yeah. business, your pricing database is the foundation of, of your product. Yeah, right? that's right. And ours is very component based. So it's, we don't bundle a bunch of things into a single right. line item. Right. So it, it allows for more accuracy, but there's a learning curve because people have to understand what is actually, you know, in that line item that they would typically use maybe just one for. And so, you know, look, there's things we can do around the UI to make that easier. There's things that we can do to, you know, make more intelligent suggestions for, for people and more focus on all of those things. But I, I think the main message is, is that you know we want to hear pricing feedback and we're going to be responsive to it and uh, um, and we're we have a pretty impressive team dedicated to to making sure that we have a, a very uh, responsive pricing and accurate pricing database. Who's running claims connect? Claims connect. So uh, everything kind of uh, the, our structure. I could give you an org chart, but uh, we have different uh, people who run different aspects of all of our businesses. So for example, Jesse Herrera is our is essentially like our COO. That's not his title. But like all products run up through him, all operations run up through him. Carrier, uh, go to market is uh, in the North America is Jacob Bree, former uh, one of the founders of Accurance. So um, if you look at our team, like you could say both Jake and Jesse runs different pieces of of that platform. It's component based. It's component based. It, well, it's it's we, a theme. No, essentially, what we're saying is like all of our development efforts because uh-huh. they're now so tied together flow up. Regardless of what product is, flow up through one executive, and all of our you know, go to market is you know, and customer service flows right. up through another. So it, it's really about trying to unite everything that we do so we give a cohesive and uh, and consistent customer experience, regardless of you know who you are. So a year later, are you having fun? Yeah, I'm actually having more fun now than than I had uh, I think before because I have less stress, more resources, and a bigger team and <laughs> and a bigger challenge to go after. So it's uh, yeah, there's there's fun. definitely more fun. Well, awesome. Well, we thank you so much for letting us do this. Yeah, this is amazing. And it's great. It only took four years. Yeah, perfect. You uh, know, uh, we can do another uh, one faster. Yeah, if we could do the follow up in less than four years, that would be great. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks, and we'll talk again soon. Great. Thank you. We missed you, Lee. It wasn't the same without you. Well, thanks, Rob. I really miss being there. I really miss being on this one. Uh, I've known Garrett a long time, and uh, I would have really enjoyed to be there in the moment. We've done business with Garrett. We know Garrett. And uh, I have to say that after having this opportunity, I admire him. If for no other reason, than he has a really cool office. That's what I heard. I yeah. heard it was a really cool place. It's a it's a really cool place. And uh he has great people working with him, like Haley. Thank you, Haley. Was super hospitable, and I'm sure that all came out um, uh, during the recording. And so we want to thank Alicia Moss. Thank you for getting that set up for me to go all the way to Los Angeles to do a podcast recording. That was very nice of you. And thank you, Aldrin Moya, too, our intrepid technical producer. And thank all of you for joining us today. Although no thanks to Lee Boyd, who wasn't there. That's true. I'm sorry. Okay, so I'm not thanking you, Lee. 
I, I appreciate that. Robert. But I will ask you to say to everybody what we always say at the end of every episode. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>